our brains are hardwired to always be efficient. So we always mm-hmm. want the same thing routine over and over again, because it's just easier. So for us to keep validating the idea that thin is better and thin equals healthy, it's just easier for our brain to comprehend. Mm-hmm. There's also the mm-hmm. idea of confirmation bias. We're always going to be looking for information that confirms what we already believe, which is why it felt so foreign to you to be looking at something else and saying mm-hmm. that that's true. Welcome to Make Bank with Marie Wold. I'm Marie, and for the last decade, I've been helping women set and hit unrealistic goals while building their definition of a rich life. This podcast is your ultimate destination for unfiltered discussions about personal development, entrepreneurship, wellness, confidence, wealth building, relationships, and so much more. We're creating our dream lives together, and I'm so glad you're here. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Make Bank. This week, we have an interview that is a much needed topic. And if you have been in my world for any number of years, you know that I'm hugely passionate about this. I'm hugely passionate about beating diet culture, body image, confidence, goal setting, all the things. And today's guest, Alana Vandersloos, is a certified intuitive eating counselor, TEDx speaker, eating disorder survivor and educator, and the founder of Freedom with Food and Fitness. She is dedicated to empowering women to heal their relationship with food and their bodies, to step into their potential, take up space and pursue true health. We are so here for it. She hosts the Finally Free podcast and her debut book, Freedom with Food and Fitness, How Intuitive Eating is a Key to Becoming Your Happiest, Healthiest Self was recently released in November. So as of this airing, it is like brand new. Congratulations, Alana, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Marie. We were saying before you hit record, I'm such a big fan of yours. I've been listening to your podcast since before it was Make Thanks. So this is such a treat. Thank you for having me. Yes, such a full circle moment. I'm so excited for you to be here. And like I was saying in that intro a little bit was like, this was a huge part of my journey. Like the things that we're going to talk about today have been a huge part of my journey, a huge part of like the impact that I wanted to make on my clients when I when I was a, like a wellness coach and a nutrition coach, a huge part of my platform for many years. And so I am so excited to have you on and to kind of like circle back to all of those things because even though my business has evolved and like my journey has evolved, I know that diet culture and all the things we're going to talk about today are still such a crucial conversation and something that people are still very much in the thick of. So I'm super excited to dive in. And for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with you, haven't met you before, can you just give us the bird's eye view and we'll kind of go deeper into like your mission and your story with food freedom and diet culture. But like, give us give us the background, give us the synopsis. Sure. So I mean, I started with my work for the same reason I think a lot of women start their own businesses is just, yeah, I had a past experience, a past trauma with dieting and never feeling like I was good enough or thin enough or pretty enough. And I was a chronic dieter for most of my 20s. I had undiagnosed eating disorders, binge eating disorder, body dysmorphia, orthorexia. And it, it it became an obsession. It went way past what was quote unquote healthy into something that was all consuming. Mm -hmm. And I noticed Mm -hmm. it was affecting not only my social life, my romantic life, my career, my physical health, mental health, all of it. And eventually I found intuitive eating and I was able to heal my relationship to food and to my body. And a couple of years went by before I realized I'm I'm a high school English teacher as a full-time job, but 
I could use that skill of coaching and teaching and mentoring, and I could help other women who felt the way I had about not feeling enough because of the way that they looked. And I'm also now starting to kind of niche down even more into helping business women and career women in particular who feel like they can't fully show up as themselves because they don't look a certain way. And I think Mm -hmm. we've been we've been sold a narrative that we can't show up because of the way that we look. But I want to kind of spell that. Yeah. Yeah. And like like we were talking about before, too, is like it's not even just maybe like the insecurity around like not feeling worthy or not looking worthy, what have you. But it's also like that mental load and that huge amount of time and energy that you're spending thinking about those things, thinking about your diet, thinking about your body, thinking about how you look from every single angle and all these things. And I know I was so consumed with all of those things. And I don't want at any point in this interview for it to sound like I'm perfect and I have it all figured out. Like I think that this is very much a journey and you would probably agree that it's like always a practice and like something that you're always working on. But I have come a very long way. And I remember times where I literally like left an event or left a holiday or left something that should have been like a great positive memory. And all I can remember is like how self-conscious I was or like how much I was dreading it because I had to wear a bikini or how much I was dreading it because I was worried about how I, I was bloated, whatever it was. Like I just remember it negative like casting this dark cloud on so many moments of my life all the way back until like middle school honestly like me and diet culture and insecurity go way 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 back like I I started my first diet when I was maybe a freshman or a sophomore in high school which is crazy so but I know that I'm not on the loan I know that there that is such a common story so tell me a little about like diet culture 101 and I think everyone has experienced it or every woman in like the Western world at least has experienced it, but maybe they don't know, like they don't know what exactly this means. So can you give us a little crash course? Like what is it? What are some of the obvious versus not obvious ways we've all been influenced by it? Maybe some more than others, but alas, everyone is kind of under this diet culture umbrella somehow. Absolutely. And that really is the thing, Marie, is that we are all socialized into diet culture. It's just sometimes we don't realize it or it's become Mm. so common. It's almost normalized. It's normal Mm -hmm. to be on a diet and to be pursuing weight loss. But what diet culture is, is just the socialized belief that it's thinness above all, that thinness is the pinnacle of success and happiness and confidence. And a lot of times thinness is conflated with health. And that's kind of the narrative that we see in marketing and advertising and social Mm -hmm. media. And even though it's a much more nuanced conversation, this idea of health, our attention spans are so limited nowadays that there's no time for nuance. So it Mm -hmm. basically gets boiled down to thin equals healthy. And then on the flip side of that is the other, you know, kind of implicit message there that if you're not thin, if you're in a larger body, that must automatically mean that you are unhealthy or lazy mm-hmm. or don't care about your health. So mm-hmm. it's it's very much putting thinness on a moral pedestal. Mm, okay. And, and so, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, we, we, and we see it everywhere because we were, you were asking, you know, how, what are the obvious and not so obvious ways that we see it? The obvious ways that we see it are dieting commercials and Weight Watchers and apps like MyFitnessPal, but the 
I would say the more nefarious and kind of underground implicit ways that we see it are a lot of advertisements show successful, happy, and confident women only in smaller bodies. Mm, And so mm -hmm. we kind of conflate the two and say, well, all of these women that I'm seeing in the media are thin, but they're also happy and confident and have Mm. the the partner. So that must, what that must be like an essential part of that. Like it's a package deal. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, think of every leading lady in most movies that we're seeing. And yes, that is changing a little bit, but for the most Mm -hmm. part, it's still like, thin, young, white women. Yeah. I was going to say, it's always like the women in larger bodies are always like the funny friend or the one mm. that like guys don't always want to date or they date as like the wingman or like that's always kind of like the side character and never the main character, never the confident girl, never like the the person with the power in, in like the sphere of characters. And we're just so like you said, we're so indoctrinated into this idea that like, I feel like you don't even notice it at this point until you take a step back and you're like looking at everything through this critical lens. Exactly. And and to your point, I never really thought about it this way, but you're right. The, the person in larger bodies always the sidekick. And then in real life, we see a lot of people in larger bodies act like the sidekick of their own story because they mm. feel like they're not worthy of that main character role. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good comparison. Okay, so then what are some signs? Maybe they're internal monologues, maybe they're behaviors, maybe it is making certain choices. Like what are some signs that someone is under kind of the thumb of diet culture that like diet culture is running the show at least on like a subconscious level? And as I say this, I want everyone to to understand again, I'm probably gonna say it a million times that that thinness doesn't equal health and my journey is very much an example of that. So if you want to hear about my journey, obviously you can pick up my book, but anytime that you are trying to lose weight purposefully is mm-hmm. diet culture. Um, because mm-hmm. again, it's, it's feeding into that narrative that you have to be thin in order to be happy or even to be healthy when there are so many other markers of health. So things like skipping meals, having black coffee for breakfast, uh, weighing yourself every day and manipulating your nutrition and movement that day based on what the scale said that morning over-exercising, not giving yourself a rest day, constantly body checking in the mirror, like looking to see if your stomach is flat or if you're bloated, if you earn food by with exercise or make up for something that you ate with exercise, counting mm-hmm. calories, any of those things are an indication that you are following the prescribed messages of diet culture that you need to be thin in order to be worthy, happy, healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something that I would love your take on, because as someone who's been aware of diet culture and has been intentionally like kind of deprogramming myself for a few years, but then also as someone who is a aware of all of the mechanics and physiological things of what is required to hit a certain body fat or look a certain way, right? I was a fitness coach for many years. And so I know how to like create a certain physique. And then B, I also am a business owner who attracts clients on social media. And I know that my appearance is part of my brand. And I notice 
when I have makeup on, I get better engagement. When I am wearing flattering clothes, more people are paying attention. Like I, there's a very real feedback loop and there's a very real like big picture societal construct of the game, which is like pretty privilege, thin privilege, white privilege, cisgender privilege, all like there, that is a very real construct that I exist within. So how do you think about balancing these very real like rules of the game, if you will, and how I'm one person in this giant game versus your own personal journey of dismantling and not being beholden to diet culture. And maybe you don't have an answer to this, but just like maybe what are some musings around how we can exist in it and even like acknowledge that it's real? Is there a way to participate it ethically in a healthy way? Is there not like where, what do you think about that? I just love everything that you said. I just love that whole thread. But yeah, it's, it's so hard because, you know, at what point are, it's not like you can't participate at all. I mean, most people are like, I still shave my legs. I still put makeup on and yeah. do my hair. And I still, you know, sometimes I use filters and it's just like, I think as long as you're doing it in a way that you still feel like you and you mm. still feel mm-hmm. like you're showing up authentically, I think that's fine. I think I can mm-hmm. authentic- authentically show up as myself with makeup on versus without, but I think the line has, I I think everybody has to find their own line, but my line was drawn when I noticed that I could not concentrate on the things that really mattered to me because Mm -hmm. I was too busy focusing on the number. I think that's where my line was and it's different for everybody, but, and like, as you said, you get more engagement when you fit the ideal, but at the same time, I don't think anybody on social media wants to see anybody who's perfect. Because no mm-hmm. one can relate to that. It's, it's very right. hard. Like we think about all the movies that we enjoy watching, the protagonist or the, the character that we root for always has a flaw or something mm-hmm. that they're trying to overcome and we root for them and we resonate with them. That's what makes yeah. good literature, good cinema. So I think as long as you're still showing up as your authentic self, I don't think it matters what size you're in or you know, whether you're cisgender or white or anything, because there's, you're going to find your own tribe and your own people. If you show up as yourself, like nobody else Mm. can show up as Mm -hmm. Marie, like you're the only person who's going to have your, your group of people. I'm going to have my tribe and somebody else that doesn't look like us or does what we do. We're, they're going to have their tribe. You have to show up authentically to get your people to be attracted to you. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way of thinking about it. And it's like, I've, I've found that that's such a nuanced, like, I, I've gotten very like tangled up in that internal discussion before of like, okay, well, like, I know I have these goals, and I know the rules of the game. And like, I know how to play the game. But also, do I want to play the game? And is it? Is this true to me? Or is it not? And I think having to figure out all those things publicly <laughs> is also a whole other level of the game quote unquote because my journey with uh, like dismantling diet culture and kind of like reprogramming myself had to happen very publicly after I finished doing like bikini competitions and all of my hormones got super unregulated and I gained a bunch of weight and I was forced to live in a body that didn't feel like mine anymore and I was forced to live in a body that was like 40 pounds heavier than I was used to and all these things and so I had to like learn all of this very literal crash course in the most painful meaning of the word. And 
that has always been, and now my body is kind of settled and I'm healthy and my body has released that kind of like inflammation, the, the weight that I was carrying and stuff. And so now I am in a more, I guess, socially acceptable body size. And so it's always thinking about like that nuance, like that has been such a, such a conversation in my brain, but I love what you said about figuring out what's true to you. And do you think that that's a game of kind of trial and error, like trying on different forms of self-expression or different ways of presenting yourself or like what, what has been your journey in finding your sweet spot there? You know, it's, and I tell this story when I speak on stage is when I was in the middle of my eating disorder and I was just so focused on my body and my weight, I was ready to settle for a high school English position that was making like $30,000 a year. And I remember telling yeah. a colleague, like, I would be happy to stay here for the next 40 years of my life at that yeah. salary. Like, I, like I, just, I, I couldn't, I didn't have the capacity to dream bigger because I was so caught up in what I thought I needed to be and what I thought I needed to look like. And once I let go of that narrative, which again, mm -hmm. like this is, this is a, an, an explorative journey, as you know, that takes a lot of time and self-reflection and self-discovery of who I really was. Like my weight isn't who I am. My, my job title isn't who I mm -hmm. am, but who am I? Who is Marie yeah. when the number is stripped away from us and the titles are stripped mm -hmm. away from us? We're the same people. And once you kind of understand yeah. who you really are outside of diet culture, you can start making plans for both your life and your business if you have one and how you want those things to expand now that you have that time, money, and energy back to mm -hmm. invest into yourself and into your business. Yeah. Yeah. I want to close the loop on kind of what we were talking about with privileges and like the the bigger game and the societal construct of diet culture, because I know when we were prepping for this, we also mentioned that like diet culture has patriarchal and racist roots. So can you just close the, the diet culture context loop or conversation on like, what is it? What do we need to know about the roots of diet culture and like the broader context of all of this? Absolutely. And I mean, th these are theories, but they, they do make a lot of sense and they do resonate. So if they mm -hmm. resonate with you, great. If they don't, you know, feel free to, to not agree with me. But, you know, there is a theory out there that diet culture is a branch of the patriarchy where it was constructed by those who wanted to keep men in power. And I'm not saying that it's all men. I'm saying those who want to keep men you know, above women in terms of power constructs mm -hmm. uh, to keep women small and distracted and quiet by having them focus on something like weight that doesn't really mm -hmm. matter so that the men can dominate the world. Because it's, mm -hmm. again, as my story shows, it's, it's very hard to chase really big goals and dreams for yourself and take up space unapologetically yeah. when you're you have so much brain fog from not feeding your yeah. body adequately. I have that. I have so much more power now as like a free woman who is like empowered in my body. Like, oh my gosh, the amount of years that were just like lived at like half capacity because of diet culture is so real. So I, yeah. I definitely relate to that. And you don't even realize how crappy you feel when you're yeah. not eating mm -hmm. enough calories until mm -hmm. you actually start eating enough calories. Oh my God. Not only how bad you feel, like I remember, this is the extreme, but like when I was doing my bikini competitions and I'd be at the ends of my prep, like I would have like 
five percent brain power. Like I was, I was talking slow. I was thinking slow. I was always cold. And not only me personally, but like I would be so cranky. And my husband, boyfriend at the time, poor Andrew, had to like exist with me on prep, and it was just like it made everything bad. Yeah, (laughs) made everything bad. It affects your whole life. And the thing is, and I think yeah. the thing to really take away from that story is you probably looked conventionally amazing, right? Oh, like yeah. Peak. And I was getting re- rewarded for it. Like social media never grew faster than when I had eight pack abs, right? My YouTube channel never got more views. And when I was competing, like I would get attention all the time and I would get validated in that body. But I was literally miserable. Right. And that's, yeah. and that's, and that's the hard thing is that it is rewarded in our society, yeah. but we have to come to this, this question of, is it worth it? And, mm-hmm. you know, to go, to go back to your original question, you know, it, it has some patriarchy, but also racism, like white European colonists were saying that, you know, African-American people were gluttonous and hypersexual and their love for food was bad. And that, you know, the Protestants were very in control and, you know, very moralistic around food. And that's kind of how mm-hmm. the whole good, bad food, moral, you know, conversation mm-hmm. came about. So it's again, and, and again, there's, I did a TEDx talk on it. There's, there's one very singular view of what health looks like. And it's this like thin white young woman in her twenties with the, the money yeah. to buy the $17 green juice. It's, and it's not inclusive to any other person that falls outside of that image. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention it is like this moving target, right? Like for years, well, if you go way back in diet culture, like I remember I've seen advertisements for like weight gain pills for women of like to get bigger, right? Like that was a thing. And then there was like the heroin chic era. And then there have been all of these different eras of like different, like all skinny, but like a different font, like, like real skinny with like no curves. And then it was actually cool to have like a big butt. So people are getting like BBLs and like injections and stuff like that. And like, now we're going back apparently to like the skinny of before is the type of skinny that we're supposed to be like, it's this constant moving target to keep you like looped in of like, okay, I, I got the BBL body or whatever I was supposed to do oh, but that's not cool anymore. So do I get it reversed? Or like, do I need to lose weight again? Or like, I built all these muscles so that I could have curves. And now the curves aren't in anymore. Like it is this moving target and the the ideal body within the brand of thinness, like the, the font has probably changed like four times in my lifetime. And I'm not even 30 yet. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think that's something to really keep in mind is that it's always changing. It's always a moving target. What is perfect? Per- perfection yeah. is different for everybody. You're never going to be everybody's cup of tea. So you might as well just please yourself and feel good in your body because mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, that is the most important thing, especially if you have goals that are outside of a number on the scale is you need to feel good in order to act good. So to speak. you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's, and you'll just never please everybody. You might as well just please yourself. And knowing that it's a social construct, I think takes the weight off you morally. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with you. You haven't done anything wrong because you look a certain way. It's just, it's just that we've been socialized and programmed to believe these things. And because they've been indoctrinated into, like it's literally within our synapses of our brains now 
we believe mm-hmm. it is fact, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I really challenged myself when I was like very much in the thick of this to kind of do like a detox of what I was consuming. So for example, I, at that time, I had come from, again, like the bikini competitor world. And before that, it was like the clean eating world. And before Mm -hmm. that, before that, before that, like all the things. And then when I had to go through that journey of who am I if I'm not skinny and like gaining weight and balancing my hormones and that whole thing, which felt like truly an identity crisis. I know you mentioned that before of like the identity work that comes with this. But as I went through that journey, I did a detox of like, okay, well, where am I validating this construct that doesn't serve me anymore, right? Like where where am I consuming that and validating it? I unfollowed or like muted so many of the people who were in that world. And I specifically was seeking out body positive influencers or body neutral people or healthy at any size people. Like I was then seeking everyone, like all the other perspectives that could be true about weight and health and body and confidence and all the things. And that was like wild to me. Like it was a whole uncharted territory, a new frontier to me to even consider all the things that I was consuming. But, and so I, it was really interesting to see. So like one, I, first part of this tangent is I would, for, if anyone's struggling with this, definitely do an audit of like, what are you consuming? Like as you open up Instagram, like what is your algorithm showing you? Because you train your algorithm, right? Like the algorithm is just a reflection of how you interact with the world. So how are you confirming diet culture, like in your content? And then two, when you start seeking other stuff, like I noticed that because I was so indoctrinated into this way of thinking, my brain wanted to like make it not true that like there was a better way. Like my brain wanted to protect me, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, from like getting to the other side because it was the unknown and it was scary. And like, how could that be true when I've lived like this my whole life? So can you like shed some light on why our brains like want to protect us, quote unquote, from outgrowing diet culture in every way, even though we logically know it's not serving us? Absolutely. One part of it is definitely our brains are hardwired to always be efficient. So we always Mm -hmm. want the same thing routine over and over again, because it's just easier. So for us to keep validating the idea that thin is better and thin equals healthy. It's just easier for our brain to comprehend. There's Mm -hmm, also the mm -hmm. idea of confirmation bias. We're always going to be looking for information that confirms what we already believe, which is why it felt so foreign to you to be looking at something else and saying Mm -hmm. that that was true. And then the other thing, and I teach this to my clients, is the only reason we ever want to lose weight to feel better about ourselves and our bodies is something called SALVE. And it's an acronym that stands for safety, acceptance, love, and validation. And those are all things mm. on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's all things that human beings need. So there's no shame in needing those things. We all do. But a lot yeah. of times we use weight loss and manipulating our body size and shape in order to fulfill those. So for you, it's like, or for anybody, we, we want to fit the thin ideal because it feels safe for us. It feels like we're going to be accepted by society at large. Yeah. And that's a very evolutionary fear to not have that mm-hmm. safety. Like if we were pack animals. So when we were part of the pack and we would hunt, if we were ostracized by the group, we would starve to death or be eaten by a predator. So 
it's, mm. it's our brain hasn't really caught up with the fact that it's not that type of danger anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I had to learn a lot of compassion and like neutrality towards myself during that journey. And like that still serves me today. And like I was saying before, like I think it's definitely a, a practice and something that you always are being intentional about. But like that was so wild to me to know that it wasn't serving me and logically be so sure of that. But then like emotionally and like subconsciously trying to like hold on to it as kind of my safe zone. Like even though it was harming me, it was familiar, right? It was like the devil I knew versus the devil that I didn't. Absolutely. And there's such a great video of Will Smith talking about his first time skydiving. I definitely recommend people Mm. watch that where he's talking about he was freaking out before skydiving because it was unknown. It's something he hadn't done before. And the anticipation was creating all of this fear and anxiety, which that's exactly what anxiety is. It's the fear of the future. It's the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. But once he took a step out of the airplane, all he felt was bliss. It wasn't as bad as he thought it was going to be. And that's something I talk about in my book is the day that I decided not to weigh myself in the morning, I was so scared up until that moment that I was going to lose all control, that I was going to gain all this weight because I didn't know what the number was. It was the most freeing day of my life mm. because it wasn't it wasn't top of mind for me. And yeah, I got to fill that part of my brain with the other things that were happening that day that were just like normal and not related to weight. And it was, yeah. it was such a great moment. Yeah. So other than not weighing ourselves and not like not feeding ourselves with constant diet culture affirming media. What are some other tangible steps people can take to start to like create more of that space from diet culture or the diet culture like loops in our minds? You know, there's so many things people can do. I would start with deleting all the apps, the calorie counting apps, my fitness pal, things like that. As you suggested, doing a social media detox and just doing a gut check. If you're scrolling through social media and you feel this like, like stab of comparison or not feeling enough with who you are, that's somebody to mute or to unfollow. Not weighing yourself is another really great mm-hmm. one. It's just if you're looking at that external tool for feedback of whether you should or shouldn't be eating, you're not listening to your own body, which is what intuitive eating is, is what the whole book is mm-hmm. about. And then, you know, since your audience is business minded, write down three really huge goals you have for your business and then really think mm-hmm. about how does your weight factor into those goals? Mm -hmm. And chances are it doesn't at all. So it's really separating the success of your business from how you have to show up physically and aesthetically in order to achieve those goals. Yeah. Yeah. I think any entrepreneur would agree, like having energy and like getting enough sleep and like eating nourishing foods and taking care of yourself and setting aside time for like your mindset work and setting aside time for like rest and play and socialization. Like I think anyone would agree that all of those things are crucial to you showing up as your best self, but none of those things are actually related to your weight. Like when you, when you get enough sleep, when you manage your stress, you might lose weight. You might, but like, that's not related. Like you might, if you're inflamed because you're holding extra weight from being super stressed all the time. Or if you add more vegetables instead of processed foods, you might, you also might not. And it doesn't really matter. The fact is that you feel better and because you feel better, you're able to show up more effectively and with more confidence and more power. And that's been so true for me. Like when I was at my leanest literal eight pack abs, I think I weighed 15 pounds less than I do now. Probably also even had more muscle than I do now. But I am so much more 
effective. I'm so much more grounded. I'm so much sharper and like smarter. I mean, my IQ maybe hasn't changed, but like I'm at full power. <laughs> like I, I'm actually showing up and it makes the biggest difference in the world. It does. And I'm so glad that you mentioned like you're, as am I, you're still doing health promoting behaviors. You're still yeah. eating fruits and vegetables and fiber and prioritizing protein and movement and sleeping and hydration and stress management. Those mm -hmm. are all things that we all should be doing if being healthy is the goal of ours. Yeah. But it has nothing to do with weight or calories or dieting or any of those things. And also to your point, you can lose weight with intuitive eating, although that is not the goal. A lot mm -hmm. of people, you know, once they start eating adequately and, and listening to their body's cues, they stop things like binge eating, mm -hmm. which was making them, you know, have all this excess weight in the first place. And one more thing to your point is you were saying you had eight pack abs. I'm sure your, your, your body fat was like a super low percentage mm -hmm. and that looks great aesthetically, you know, from a conventional standpoint, but your body was probably in chronic inflammation mode and your metabolism mm -hmm. was probably super sluggish. And Mm -hmm. it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of damage that can be done to the body when we pursue that thin ideal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know your book is really focused on intuitive eating and how it's the key to becoming happiest, healthiest, reaching your goals for the people who I think most people listening to this podcast are very familiar with my fitness pal and calories. And probably a lot of them are even like have counted their macros before and things like that. Like why is intuitive eating the thing that's going to allow us to be our most powerful when I think a lot of people who have big goals and are ambitious, we also crave control mm. and food and eating and knowing exactly what we're putting in our body can be a way that we like exert control. I know for me, that was very true. So how, <laughs> yeah, she just pointed at herself like, yeah, huh? as a fellow undiagnosed orthorexia person back in the day. <laughs> so how can we transition to seeing all like that same kind of merit and actually seeing intuitive eating as the way versus the familiar control that we maybe have had with tracking things and counting things and following a certain diet? The, the way that I ultimately saw it when I was in a very similar situation as you is I realized at one point that I wasn't the one in control anymore. Mm. At some point the power paradigm shifted and it was oh, really my weight. That's that such was an in interesting control. way to look at it. Yeah. I I was a slave to the scale. I was a slave yeah. to how many calories I could have in a day. And it very quickly became I was the one being controlled. And I think when we listen to our body's cues and we start to learn or relearn rather how to tap into things like hunger, fullness, satiety, we do gain the control back. Our bodies have the control mm -hmm. and they tell us when it is time to eat. And I am still a recovering control freak. I will be mm -hmm. honest with you. And it's, I've just learned that that's not something that I need to have a death grip of control on because it doesn't serve me. I mm -hmm. find other things to control, namely my thoughts. I think thought work mm -hmm. is super important. If you want to heal your relationship to food in your body, your thoughts and your emotions are 100% in your control as long as you train your mind. And that's, that's one thing I do with my clients is we have to literally retrain the brain to realize that health isn't yeah. fitness and that fitness isn't the gold standard. Mm -hmm. When you say thought work, if someone's not familiar with that, Give us an example of what it can look like to do thought work and like reprogram your mind around this. 
Sure. So I use a form of cognitive behavioral therapy in my program. It's I, I call it chill the F out because I feel like that's <laughs> kind of what we need that's to perfect. do. Like we, we need to put some levity into this because everyone's so, yeah. so, it's so serious about it. But it stands for circumstance, thought, feeling, and outcome. So it's this whole idea that everything that happens to us in life is neutral. And it's mm-hmm. not till we assign a thought or meaning to that event that we feel a certain way about it. So if we you, you said you gained 40 pounds in, in your journey to mm-hmm. become more intuitive. That's a neutral circumstance because for somebody, mm-hmm. somebody might find that to be the most horrible thing in the world. It was your key to freedom. It was, um, it mm-hmm. was the thing that you needed to yeah. do. That was like an essential part of the, of my process to, oh, to arrive here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, being mindful of your thoughts. So you, you realize that this was an empowering move for you and you were, you were moving toward healing yourself. Mm-hmm. So you probably had emotions around gaining those 40 pounds. Like you mm-hmm. felt self-compassion and grace and, and hope that you would, you would get eventually. Right? Yes, eventually. I did. Get yeah. <laughs> it, it's both right. You know, in the journey, yeah. it's a little bit both. but yeah. you know, so for example, let's say somebody gains 20 pounds and the thoughts that they have are so disgusting. I did it again. I have no willpower. I'm never going to be able to lose weight. Is that All those thoughts mm-hmm. are so negative. You're going to put yourself in yeah. this emotional spiral of hopelessness, anger, frustration, shame, and all that's going to do. Your outcome is you're going to do something like restrict or skip a meal or, you know, work out an extra hour or, you know, go on Weight Watchers again. But, you know, and mm-hmm. then you can reverse engineer that, you know, for, for your, for your business minded ladies out there. If you know what you want the outcome to be, be it, you know, with your business or whatever else, if you know what the outcome is supposed to be, what feelings do you have to have to be able to take the next steps to generate that outcome? And then once you know what emotions you have to feel, what thoughts are going to need, are you going to need to think on a regular basis to generate those feelings to get those outcomes? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the system works both ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a good way of looking at it. And you're right. Like eventually you get to that point where you can embrace the process. I remember for me, a pivotal moment was I had, I was probably at the peak of my weight gain and I was talking to my therapist at the time and I was telling her about how I would just feel better if I could be in a more comfortable like body fat percentage, if I could fit back into some of my clothes and all that stuff. And she's like, but what if you never do? Like, what if, what if your body stays like this forever? Can you be happy? And I was like, oh, like I had never even thought that, thought about the fact that I needed to make peace with exactly where I was <laughs> before I could actually heal and move forward. Like I was already so focused on like, how do I undo this? How do I undo this? How do I undo this? And then the moment I was able to drop into that place, like, how do I work on being where I am and like extracting the lessons and doing the work and all of that stuff, then I actually could make progress instead of just like fighting against what I was supposed to be learning in that season. And I got to a place where I was like, I could, I could be happy in this body forever. And like, I don't want to make it a positive thing that I ended up losing weight, but that was like the, the byproduct of balancing my hormones and releasing the stress and releasing the pressure and releasing the expectations. And then in that breakthrough, I was able to make that promise to myself of, I'm not going to go to any extremes. I'm going to prioritize my health and my energy and my stress and like nourishing myself. I will never go to an extreme again. And my body just went to its happy place 
and whatever the happy place is, is great with me. And even like I got married earlier this year and so much of the wedding content is like how you're going to snatch your waist or do the th- do your juice cleanse or whatever before your wedding. And I literally rolled up to my wedding, didn't like do anything to change my body. And that was like such a full circle moment to me of like, who am I? Yes. I can just like feel good and like not try to lose a dress size or not try to like tone my arms a certain way or whatever. Like, of course I wanted to like feel good in my photos and like buy a dress that was flattering to me and like all these things. But that was like past Marie could have never fathomed just rolling up to the wedding as I was Which like, yeah. I could not have fathomed that. And so I think I'm sharing the story with the intention of like, if you're in the place where it's like, that feels so far away of just like being happy and being content and where I am feels so uncomfortable. Like if you can surrender to the discomfort in the short term, like it is so possible to get to a happier place. But like, I think it is, you kind of have to go through it. Like the only way out is through very much is true here. Yeah. And, and just that idea of you have to accept where you are right now, even if it's mm-hmm. not where you want to be. The past is the past. Like your teenage body was your teenage body. You don't yeah. know what the future holds, but can you find space to accept and even maybe appreciate and respect your body for the things that it can do, even if you don't necessarily mm-hmm. like the way that it looks. I think it's such a powerful step. And congratulations, by the way, on getting married and going up to your wedding. And and just being present with your husband mm-hmm. and both of your families and enjoying the food and not worrying about it. And of course, mm-hmm. yes, again, we have to find that that place in the diet culture, commercialized image of women's spectrum of you want the flattering dress, but it doesn't need to be a certain size and you want to feel confident mm-hmm. in the photos, but that's not attached to a certain weight and finding that medium that yeah. works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it, but it's like such a practice, such a journey. And so I wanted to share that as like, it took me what, like maybe five or six years ago, it was at the peak of my struggle with all of this, like the the identity crisis (laughs) phase of all this. And it took me years to really come to this happy place and this balanced place and this like embodied place. And so if you're in the bad, not the bad place, where you feel bad, you're deep in your process. I'll say it that way. If you're in that place where you're deep in your process, like trust that it's all going to pay off, but you can't try to rush it. And the, the, once I finally surrendered and made those commitments to myself that I was going to do it the right way, then everything fell into place. Like then everything was easier and like the turmoil I was feeling, I could release. And so what I, where I want to like flip it back to you, like pass you back the mic is what are some things that we've been talking about it as like a practice and an ongoing effort with intention? Like what are some things that you do or you recommend doing on a daily basis just to whether it's check in or make sure that you're either making progress or maintaining a a good place within yourself? Just be very mindful of the narratives that you hear in your head. Like is it some, is it, does it sound like a critical, like your critical mom or does it sound like your voice mm. sound like something you're just regurgitating because you heard it when you were a kid or does it sound like your voice? I love journaling. I think practicing gratitude. I know like everybody's talking about gratitude, but 
it really does put you in the space of thinking positively about your life, about things that aren't just your weight and focusing on the Mm -hmm. good parts of your life, you know, really falling into this idea of who you are. And again, that's another great way to do that is through journaling is this idea that we're all worthy. We all have intrinsic worth. And that was something personally that I really struggled with understanding. So I was like, what do you mean? Like that I'm not better than so-and-so who like, you know, doesn't try at all and doesn't have a job mm. and doesn't, really love, doesn't do any, doesn't strive for anything. Like how am I who strives all the time? Not better. But then I, I was talking to my therapist about it and she's like, well, who are you if everything else was stripped away? Like, what is mm-hmm. your personality? What are your tr- character traits? Like that's mm-hmm. your worth. And I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. So really tapping into yeah. Who are you, whether you're a hundred pounds or 500 pounds? Are you Mm -hmm. funny? Are you loyal? Are you kind and giving? What are you? And again, focusing on your thoughts and emotions, what what is coming up for you and challenging those as you go through your day. Is this really a factor? Is this something that I'm giving meaning to because I was socialized to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so key. So key. So I want people to get a little bit of a preview on your book. I'm sure that based on this conversation, they're wanting to dive deeper, learn more, hear more from you. So give us kind of the overview of freedom with food and fitness, how intuitive eating is key to becoming your happiest, healthiest self just released as of this podcast coming out. Yay. Congrats. We're popping champagne with you. (laughs) What is it? What is inside? What can they expect? Like who needs this book? all the things. I think every woman needs this book. I think every woman needs this book. And I think every woman should buy it for, for the women <laughs> in their lives. It's yeah, because we've all again, as we said before, we've all been affected by diet culture in one way or another mm-hmm. and have been made to feel like we're not enough because of the way that we look. I, I want to say like 1% of women are actually happy with their bodies. Like it's all of us. Mm-hmm. It's like a human condition type of thing. But the yeah. book is divided into two different parts. It's half food and nutrition, and then have fitness and movement. And it's just very practical, actionable tips on how to implement intuitive eating and movement into your everyday life, especially if you're somebody who is busy, busy Mm. CEO females, Mm. busy stay-at-home moms, like we all have a million and one things to do. So Mm -hmm. for example, I have really practical strategies on how to meal prep, not in a diety way, but how to meal prep in an hour or two and prioritize delicious nutrient dense foods Mm -hmm. without, you know, being obsessive and having to count and weigh everything. Yeah. I talk a lot about the dangers of having the perfect body or seeking the perfect body. I talk a lot about my own journey. So a lot of, a lot of the strategies that are in the book are ones that I didn't read anywhere else. It was just my own experience and the things that really Mm -hmm. made the most difference in my journey, which it took me about seven years to get from my worst to my best. So I, I feel like yeah. it takes a very long time. So it's a lot of reprogramming. So I think having a book and a guide that is very easy to read and under it's a quick read. It's it's very conversational. It's like one girlfriend to another saying, Hey, I've been where you are right now. Here are some mm-hmm. of my biggest secrets for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that your book exists. I'm so glad that this is becoming more and more of a conversation. And I have so much hope in my heart that like this will continue to grow as a movement and future generations of women won't have to work so hard to get to this place with their body and with food and with their confidence and all the things. So thank you so much for doing what you do, for writing your book, for sharing your mission. Where can people find more about you on the internet? Where can they buy your book? 
Where so can we get more? The book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can also request it for your local bookstore. You'll find me most active on Instagram. So I'm at Freedom with Food and Fitness. My website is freedomwithfoodandfitness.com. And there I have free resources. And if you want to work with me as a coach, there's lots of information about my program, Defy the Diet, information about the book, about me. Yeah, I would say those two places are definitely the best place to find me. And come say hi. I want to talk to everybody. Yeah. Send some love, send some gratitude. Thank you so, so much for your time, for sharing your wisdom and your story with us. We are so grateful. Thank you, Marie.